Hello, and welcome to Thrive, a podcast that gives you strategies and inspiration to help you live your best life. Learn from us, two cancer survivors, as we show you how we don't just survive, but thrive. Hi, I'm Dara Kurtz, creator of CrazyPerfectLife.com, a place to go to help you find meaning each day, and author of the book, Crush Cancer, the book I needed when I heard those terrifying words, you have cancer, available on Amazon. Hi, I'm Garth Callahan. I am a seven-ton cancer thriver. But more importantly, I am also the original napkin notes dad. I've been writing notes to my daughter, Emma, and sticking them into her lunch ever since kindergarten. We are so happy to introduce you to one of our favorite author friends. Rachel Macy Stafford is a writer with one goal, to help people choose love as much as humanly possible. Her latest book is Live Love Now, Relieve the Pressure and Find Real Connection with Our Kids. Rachel, we are so happy to have you back on the podcast. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Tell our listeners what you've been up to since we last got to speak with you. So I kind of took a break from writing after Only Love Today, and I just kind of decided I wanted to do more real live connection opportunities with people. So I kind of ramped up my speaking events. I started an online course called Soul Shift. And I was really feeling fueled by this connection, this community, because, you know, when your head is down and you're writing a book, it can get kind of lonely. And also, I just kind of wanted to talk to people to to figure out, like, what are people struggling with these days? And it just so happens um, that I started getting invited into classrooms. And I'm a special education teacher. And so it was very, I don't know, just delightful, really, just delightful that I got to go back and talk to kids, and they were teenagers. And so, of course, it felt like this was an opportunity, not for me to just talk at them, but to talk with them. And what I found (laughs) was really enlightening, and I did an exercise um, after I shared a lot of honesty about my own journey, my own struggles, I asked them a question. If you could give the world one message, what would it be? And then I would pass out index cards. And it was so interesting because I didn't really have high hopes that they were going to like pour out their hearts, you know, because I'm like, I'm a stranger. But it was almost like they had been waiting for someone to ask them that question. And it was so, it was just undeniable after doing this three or four times that I was getting some information that really needed to be shared. And so that's, that's what brought me to start writing Live Love Now. I love that. And were you, did you find that you were getting the same messages? Like when you spoke to one group and then you would speak to another group, was there a reoccurring theme? And I would love to hear about that. Absolutely. There was absolutely a reoccurring theme and it was so prevalent to me that there were these stressors in our kids' lives due to living in the modern age, the modern world with the modern pressures that, you know, we didn't necessarily grow up with. We had our own pressures, but these are different. And so I heard a lot of, I wish you could see the amount of pain and stress 
that I deal with. And things like being alone sucks. And things like, I just want to be a kid. Mm. There's no time to be a kid. Things like, my parents are living through me. I am not creating my own identity. I'm creating what they want me to be. So basically, there were like these six really strong themes that emerged and those became my chapters so that we could really delve in to each stressor. And, you know, what I found was these stressors that our kids are describing are stressors we are all dealing with. And there's just no more powerful way to get through these stressors, to learn how to cope with them than by doing it alongside our kids. So this book is going to help us with connecting with our kids, but we're also going to be connecting with our own hearts. We're going to be doing some healing that is necessary because you can't be a healthy guide, a healthy role model, a healthy companion on this journey if you don't deal with your own stuff. I love that you said that. So Rachel has two daughters and how old are your daughters now? 13 and 16. Okay. Oh, how fun. Yeah. And I mean, it is is fun. I mean, it is beautiful all with the ups and downs. Everyone here, like I have two daughters, Garth has a daughter. So, I mean, it's, I love that we all kind of share that, but you've been really open and honest with your daughters about your personal struggles. And when you intentionally did that, you sort of saw a shift in your daughters. Can you talk a little bit about that? I think that's really powerful. Yes. When I decided to kind of like come clean with Natalie, my oldest, it was interesting because I told her one of the first things that I had told her honestly that I'd never told anyone else was that I was mean to myself inside and that being mean to myself often rippled out and then I was mean to her and I told her I don't know how but I want to change and it was interesting because owning that and confessing that I didn't see sadness or worry or fear in her face I saw hope I saw hope that I was telling her this and that I wanted to change. And I was telling her that as well. And what I realized from that experience is perfect parenting is not required on this journey. What serves us even better as parents is to be open, vulnerable, admit where we are struggling, admit our mistakes so that they can see that they can be human too. That that's part of being human is learning and growing. And so that was a huge relief to realize I don't have to know all the answers. I just need to keep showing up bravely and and honestly and authentically so that she can see this model of what it looks like to create this 
resiliency in your life because we know life is not going to be easy for us, for our kids. And the sooner we say, this is what happens, but this is how we overcome. This is how we deal. And we can do that together. You don't need to be ashamed because a lot of our kids are making mistakes and one failure is making them feel like it's the end of the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. When did we, when did our kids start to feel like they had to be perfect? Because it feels like, and my youngest daughter is 17 and a half. I'm, I have teenagers in my house all the time and I can just tell that they feel like they have to be perfect at everything so that they can get into the college that their parents want them to go to. Um, So it's like the stress is unbelievable. I, I think that some of that is kind of brought on by ourselves. You know, if we think back, maybe it's a generational thing. I don't know that I ever recognized my parents as regular human beings until I was a grown up, right? And I I didn't see them struggle. I didn't see them fail. And I don't think that our parent generation really talked about that. Right. And and Dara, I think you and I have had a, a unique, somewhat unique experience in that our kids have seen us struggle with health issues that were very, you know, dire. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's stripped off that layer of I'm going to present this perfect image to you. Right. And it just opened up a lot of a space for vulnerability, which was actually beautiful. Um, I mean, I I can't tell you how many times in public that I personally have been embarrassed by my illness and and, and Emma's been there kind of by my side. And so she's seen that (laughs) that that side of me, which. I'm, you know, at this point, I'm very thankful for, and I wish I can't, I can't even remember, but there was a commercial or a movie or a TV show or something where, you know, this kid spills milk at the dining room table and gets this really anxious look on his face. And, and the dad kind of looks at him and then knocks over his milk. Yeah. I love that. Aww. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, that experience takes away the the anxiety that the child has of making a genuine mistake, which every kid makes, yes. right? And so you don't have to think about the perfect and you don't have to think about the, you know, the what ifs and getting into the right college and taking the right classes. And when I was going through this book, one of the things that I really enjoyed reading the most about was the yeast rolls. And, and uh, there were a couple of things that I took away from that um, because I I know that it's a mindset where tell we, tell the listeners a little bit about that. Yeah, so I, I'll actually let yes yeah. or Rachel, yeah. yeah. Oh well, real quick, Natalie, my well, she was probably fifteen at the time. I'm out taking a walk and I get this text. She's decided she's going to make yeast rolls for her dad's birthday. And of course, I'm quickly just thinking about my own self and I'm like, oh, that is just a waste of time. Yeast rolls are so hard. I just cleaned the kitchen. I'm gonna have to take her to the store. You know, I'm thinking about all, how is it gonna affect me, you know? And and I thought about my own experience with yeast rolls and it's not pretty, you know? So I come back and she's already at it because Scott took her to the store and she was just joyfully molding this big, huge mound of dough and flipping it and 
you know, flowers going everywhere. And I'm thinking in my head, there is no way those are going to be edible, you know? Mm. (laughs) And so she, she and I start having this conversation. I feel myself kind of opening up to her. You know, she's like, oh, and tell me about this bread machine used to have. And, you know, so it was kind of like turned into this moment of connection and she pulls the rolls out of the oven and they are the most beautiful rolls I've ever seen and they taste delicious so at first I was like oh my gosh there I go again you know kind of thinking negatively like this isn't going to work out but then and and you were setting her her up too right you were like oh you know I've whenever I made these they were really hard and you know this is a very difficult thing to make well and it's not like you just popped open the Pillsbury tube Exactly. Yes. And so, but I stopped myself because I thought, you know, in the old days, the old Rachel would have said, you know, no, you're not going to do this, not even let her try. But, you know, sucking the joy out of everything is what I called it. But, you know, I I did, I kept my mouth shut. And, And what the point of the story is, we're humans. As parents, we're going to have negative feelings about things things are going to make us feel uncomfortable but when we can stop and realize okay i'm going to surrender control i'm going to just keep my mouth shut and let them do this for themselves because just because i had a bad experience doesn't mean they're going to have a bad experience so and that can be true about all of the things that they encounter in life we often put our own emotional baggage in there when it's not relevant, you know, let them live their life, let them try their opportunities and experiences without commenting, you know. But that's so hard to do. So if parents are listening to this right now and they're thinking, okay, yes, I I definitely agree that I do that. I can see that I do that. How can they what can they do to kind of shift? And so, I mean, recognizing it is one thing, but then how do you kind of get out of your own way and just keep your mouth shut, like you said? Mm-hmm. Well, I have a very powerful mental image that I think about when I'm feeling myself wanting to get in their way, to control, to micromanage, to dictate, to critique. That is I imagine them standing in their first apartment or at at the desk of their first job, you know, in in a college class, and they encounter a problem, a situation that has to be handled. I see them handling it confidently because they have had the opportunities in the safety of our own home and under our roof to try things that don't always work out. And not because mom or dad told you how to do it. One of the things that really struck me as I researched for Live Love Now was so many college admissions counselors and people who worked with college students like Julie Lithcott Hames, who wrote a book called How to Raise an Adult. She was so disturbed by how many kids came to Stanford with these glowing applications, yet they were basically failing at the basics of life because 
Mom and dad had continually stepped in, told them what to do, how to think, uh, who to be. And so then they get away from that and they're paralyzed and they feel like, I can't do this. I'm a failure. And then they become depressed and anxious. And so those are the kind of things I think about when I want to micromanage every hair on their heads because the cost of stepping back can be high. And it's like, oh, but but what if they fail that class if I don't step in? But wouldn't you rather have them fail when they're with you under your roof and you can work through this rather than they're out in the real world and the consequences could be even higher. I love that so much. And I think that if readers take one lesson from that, I mean, that's such a powerful reminder to give yourself permission to let your kids fail. But don't you think, go on. And and so uh, that's actually something I wrote down in my notes is that, you know, we need to let our children learn from failure. But then I, I wrote a second sentence is, which is we need to let our children learn from success, right? Because you can't have that risk. Yeah. Right, you have to you have to learn how to succeed. Just I feel as, like we've been but, talking about this so much lately. I, I know, <laughs> um, but you know you have to have that risk of failure. And you know, I remember uh, Emma when she was applying for college, there was a a scholarship application that she wanted to apply to, and there was an essay. And um, this whole application process was incredibly intense. Probably the most intense thing she's ever done. She wouldn't let me. Not she wouldn't. It's not that she wouldn't let me edit her essay. She wouldn't let me read it. I remember you telling me about that, and you were so that stressed you out, Garth. It sure it did. Really did. Well, because at the end of the day, it was a you know a seventy thousand dollars scholarship, yeah, right? Oh, which wow. she did get. Right. Oh. Then did so, you get to read it? Oh well, so I did get to read it afterwards, and mostly because one of the people at the in the admissions office was chatting me up at one of the events and said how much they appreciated emma's viewpoint oh so at that point i really wanted to read it yes but so one of the great things that's come out about that though because i didn't pressure her so much i didn't cajole her i didn't say hey i really need to edit this yes Um, are you remembering this all as clearly as it played out (laughs) i am absolutely so i think that there might have been a different parent that was kind of (laughs) look i'm not trying to minimize the fact that i was stressed about it yeah but now you know emma's three semesters into college she's now in her fourth semester and from time to time she sends me papers to edit oh interesting yes and admittedly, some of the papers are of subject matters that I have no knowledge whatsoever in. And I have to ask, you know, okay, so from what point of view am I reading this? Because mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I'm not just correcting grammar or punctuation. I'm actually helping content. But I can only imagine had I had I handled that situation a couple of years ago differently, that I might not have that experience, that relationship with Emma today. That's right. Trust me to yeah. say, hey, I, I've written this and I know that trying to be creative is, you know, I've exposed myself a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Because right here, we all know what that means when we are creative and we expose our emotions and our feelings on paper and to have somebody else critique it. Yeah. yeah. Rachel, don't you think a lot of it comes from the fear of a parent? Like, 
okay, yes, we don't want our kids to fail, but I feel like sometimes oh, it goes yes. deeper. Like, oh, yes. Yeah. Amen. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, All the yeses. talk a little bit about that. From personal experience, I can say that for, for many years, a lot of my motivation, which I was like, well, I'm doing this for your benefit. So you make a good impression. But as I saw the light dimming from my younger daughter's eyes with all these constant uh, suggestions and helpful tips, I realized I'm causing her pain. What is this really about? And it was about me. It was about my fear of rejection and belonging because I, as I explain in the book, I lived many, many years thinking that my worth was defined on these, you know, external variables. And then I thought, is this what I really want to pass on to my daughter? Do I want her to go through life wondering if she is enough the way that I did? And so, yes, when you are critiquing and you're making suggestions and you're interjecting yourself into their life, it would be so good to stop and be compassionate with yourself and say, is this about them or is this really about me? And those hard, truthful looks inward, those are catalysts for tremendous growth and healing if you're willing to go there, which is what my whole book is about, is that, you know, the truth is not the end. The truth is the beginning. And when you know the truth and those truths that I read on those index cards, those were hard truths to read. But once you know the truth, then you can make different choices. You can begin to look at things in a different perspective. You can use different words that then don't pass on those damaging beliefs that we carry through our whole lives. We do not have to pass them on to our kids. You know, I was just, I don't know why my brain went, went here, but did your kids ever have like crazy pajama day at school? Yes. Okay. So, you know, how did we treat our kids that day? Right. We didn't, Mm -hmm. we didn't look at them and say, oh my goodness, look how silly you look. You can't wear this to school. You can't do it this way. We actually just encouraged it because that's how everybody was behaving that day. But what, what if we kind of treated our kids like that in everything that they do Mm. instead of projecting ourselves onto them because, of course, we would never wear crazy pajamas to work. Well, Dara, <laughs> you, you might. <laughs> but, but, you know, we, I wouldn't go into the office wearing crazy pajamas or my bathrobe. But if we revel in our children's uniqueness and their own abilities and encourage that as opposed to, you know, projecting our own inadequacies upon them. Yes. How much more joy would our kids have? each and every single day. And imagine if it wasn't just three people, but it was like our society 
that mm. embraced acceptance of our kids for their beautiful uniqueness and just gave them the freedom to lean into who they're supposed to be, the best versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. It, it could be a game changer in terms of how they feel about themselves and their ability to do incredible things with their lives. Well, and yes, you, you've tapped into that piece of acceptance. When we accept them for who they are, then they become like more knowledgeable about who they truly are deep down at their core, which indicates to them, what are the things that make me come alive in this lifetime? What, what just sparks my light? And then, they, then to let them to go seek that out. You know, then you're dealing with something different 10 or 15 years down the road when they are forging their own path, the one that was based on their authentic identity. And then there is joy. There is peace. You know, that, that peace of acceptance that you can instill in them early just sets them up so beautifully for a meaningful fulfilling life and that's really what we want for our kids and it's hard not to get off track and listen to what society is saying these things are important and then we have to keep pulling back to our heart and say no 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 what is the ultimate goal I want them to be capable you know I want them to be fulfilled I want them to feel inner peace no matter how shaky the world is or how many people try to tell them who to be they can say no I know who I am I know what brings me joy and that is just a very very powerful foundation for a life to be lived as you know I've been writing notes to my daughter ever since she was in kindergarten and and I still do Right. So um, she was just home uh, a week ago for midwinter break. And I actually had to send her back to school with 45 napkins. It's the longest time that I won't see her during the school year between now and her next vacation. Oh, my goodness. The stack of napkins kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And my heart sank because I thought, oh, my goodness, that's how long I won't see her. Yeah, Um, yeah. One of the things that I do during our podcast is I pull a napkin from my archives that is applicable to what we're talking about today. Hmm. And I was so very happy. This is actually the first time that I will share a napkin that I didn't write to Emma. Oh. So uh, towards the end of your book, you reference Carol Dweck, who is the author of Mindset. Way back when, a few years ago, my therapist recommended me reading this book because she felt like I really had a growth mindset and she wanted me to help solidify that in my own head. Mm. And so I read the book, I devoured it. I absolutely loved it. And then I wrote a note to my wife, Lisa. Mm. And I stuck it in her lunch. Oh, nice. And, and it's, it's a little bit longer than my average napkin note, but this is what it says. Dear Lisa, whenever you come up against something you can't do, remember the most important word, yet. Mm. I can't do this yet. I can't climb this mountain yet. I don't know how to do it yet. 
Mm-hmm. Love Garth. Mm. Amazing. For so many reasons. I just love that you wrote that to your wife for starters. I mean, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> Can you imagine being at your office and getting that letter from your husband? And then yes. just, I mean, so Garth yet. Love it. Yes. Very good. So That's Rachel, beautiful. we are so happy to have you on the podcast again. And we always love to ask the, our guests if they could share a thriving tip, a little nugget of extra goodness. Is there one thriving tip that you like to sort of use in your own life to mm-hmm. help you create the life of your dreams? So this is a practice that I got into about a year ago when I felt like I couldn't ignore the calling on my heart that said, write this book that I knew was going to require a lot of vulnerability, saying things that I don't really want to tell, but they're important, especially to this concept. So I started doing something I still have a paper calendar because I just like to have it in my hand. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. I'm in yeah. good company. You are and, in good company. Um, so when I flip the page to a new month, I would always feel like, oh my gosh, look how many chapters I have to write. Look at, you know, look at all the things going on. And my daughter, Avery, was having some severe medical issues. So then I'd see all the appointments and it felt so overwhelming. And then I would get to the next month and I would flip it and it would all start again. But what I started doing as a practice was before I flipped the calendar, you know, on that last day of the month, I said, you are going to stop and you're going to look at the ground that you stand upon right now and you're going to look back at what you've overcome you were scared but you showed up you didn't think you could do it but you did it you were fearful but you did it anyway you know i looked back at the things that i thought at the beginning of the month was like oh my gosh and then i reflected back and said look that thing that you were so scared of, you did it. I'm such an expert at looking ahead that I often fail to acknowledge the ground I stand upon and the path that I've paved. And I feel like in our society, this is what we do. It's on to the next thing that we don't stop and say, look, look at what you did. And so it's really helped me to do that every month, to stop before I turn that page over and look back and reflect and celebrate. And I think that's so good for us to do modeling for our kids as well, you know? And it's also a chance to say, hey, this didn't go so well. Let me assess. What are the tools that I gained even though that didn't turn out so well? And it's just a chance to stop and refuel because we do not stop and give ourselves chances to breathe. And that was the one thing that I noticed that Avery, as she was going through a medical struggle, you know, she would go and she would play her guitar and these beautiful songs she would write, 
all centered around stopping, breathing, celebrating just where you are and not looking ahead. And so she kind of emphasized what I felt like I needed to be doing. So that's just something, it doesn't have to be the end of the month, but just once you overcome a big obstacle, please stop and recognize, recognize that. I absolutely love that. It's actually a practice I do weekly. Mm. Uh, I do it on, I have it on my calendar every Friday at four o'clock and it actually says recap the week. Mm. And I do that for one minor purpose and one major purpose. Obviously the major purpose, we've just kind of heard your side of it, which is kind of understand where you've been, what has happened, what's gone well, what didn't go well. Mm -hmm. Um, The other reason why I do it is that from four to five o'clock, nobody can book me for a meeting at work because I have recapped the the week blocked off on my calendar. So nobody can put me into a late Friday meeting. And so I do it for selfish reasons, but also it really helps me stay centered and grounded. I don't get as overwhelmed with all of the things that I still have to do or all of the things that I didn't get done in that week. It's just a matter of, Hey, you know, what, you know, what went well, what didn't go well. And I find that I have treatment on Fridays. And so I usually forget to move that back to a Thursday. And so the week after a treatment, I usually feel discombobulated for the first day or so because I didn't recap. Oh, interesting. And and so, you know, mentally I need to kind of understand where I am today because of what I didn't do a couple of days ago. And so that's so ingrained in my own schedule. I could not recommend that more, whether Mm -hmm. it's weekly or monthly, you know, Mm -hmm. think about the, what's the worst thing that employees and employers like have to do every year? Employee evaluations, <laughs> right? And and why is it they that they hate to do it? It's not because people don't like to be critiqued. It's not because people don't like to be evaluated. Because we do want, we want that feedback. We want to learn how to succeed better. It's because we've waited 11 months and three weeks <laughs> since the last time we talked about how well we were doing at work. Yes, great point. Really true. Mm. And wouldn't it be great if our kids could do this? Instead of saying, you know, okay, mm. I took three tests this week. Instead of saying, okay, you know, I did great on the test, or maybe I could study a little bit more or learn from it. They automatically have to like kind of go to the three tests that they have to study for, for the next week. I mean, it's almost like we don't even give our kids the chance to kind of regroup or Mm -hmm. reevaluate what is working, maybe what they could learn from that and what they could carry over into the next week. And so it's a, that's a beautiful habit. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yes. I love that. So we encourage all of our listeners to please check out Rachel's book, Live Love Now. You will absolutely love it. It's available on Amazon. Of course, everything will be in the show notes. You can also learn more about Rachel at her incredible website, handsfreemama.com. Again, that link will be in the show notes as well. And Rachel, it is just always such a joy Mm -hmm. to talk with you. I think what I like about you the most is how real and honest you are and how everything you say comes directly from your heart, which Mm. is so refreshing. And I think that's why people love you so much because they really feel that. Thank you. Gosh, that means a lot. Thank you. 
Gosh darn, just even listening to your words, my eyes got a little Aww. wet at the bottom of you because it's so true, right? It's it true. Really is. And, yeah. and I, I have to say, the moment that we scheduled this, I was just so, like, my heart was filled with joy, looking forward mm. to the day. Like, I cannot wait for this day to happen because everything you say it is, comes from the heart and it's making everybody just better people, yeah. not mm-hmm. better at whatever. It's mm-hmm. how can we be better people mm. better versions of ourselves yeah absolutely thank yeah. you gosh that's that's so meaningful I really appreciate that and I love to talk to you too as well because we can just be real and be honest and and just I feel like when we talk meaningful things come because we're willing to go to those places. You know, you can't always go there with everybody and you two are willing to go there because that's how you live. And so thank you for this opportunity. Well, it is truly our pleasure and we can't wait for the next time. Yeah, that's right. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Thrive is created with the hope that we help you develop motivation and inspiration to make your life remarkable. You can find out more about me at napkinnotesdad.com. I invite you to get my free audio download, Reclaim Your Life, at crazyperfectlife.com with tips and tools to help you feel your best. It would mean so much to us if you shared this with your friends and family and left us a review on iTunes. Remember, you deserve to thrive. Thrive Podcast is copyrighted by Dara and Garth.